Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. Hey, Connor, we don't have Grumpy Cat uh, this week to, to beat up on, but hopefully... This is uh, Pod Classic. Yeah, she'll be back next week, so uh, it'll be pretty exciting. I think she's more popular than you and I are, but, you know... Uh, to be expected. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So welcome to uh, Too Many Lawyers. If you're new to the show, um, I'm Royal Oaks. I'm a lawyer. I'm a legal analyst, uh, ABC News legal analyst. I have a show every... Monday through Friday on KBC Radio in Los Angeles, 7.90 a.m., 6 to 7 p.m. Tell your friends. Listen up. It's a great opportunity to uh, get feedback. Uh, and in a, other radio shows and podcasts that we do, we don't always get the, the feedback from everybody. Uh, so it's fun mm-hmm. to uh, do that. Uh, but, Connor, you're going to give feedback tonight, right? Oh, yeah. And I'll give feedback to you. And so it'll, it'll work out uh, pretty well. So um, I'm kind of right a setter. And Connor, I'll let you describe yourself. Connor's my son, and um, he's a lawyer, but I'll let him fill in the uh, the canvas with some details. Uh, would you like yeah, to? Yeah, I would describe myself as significantly left of center. And together, this conversation that we have uh, every week uh, is a pretty good counterpoint to the news, which you're going to get from most major outlets, which on the one hand, will either try to be entirely neutral and fail spectacularly, uh, or will provide the sort of vitriolic crossfire style point counterpoint uh, that it tears down more than it builds up uh, the conversation. So this is your spot, your place to find uh, respectful disagreement coming from different sides of the aisle. And it's kind of like the old 60 Minutes days uh, when I think it was James Kilpatrick, maybe was his name, the right winger, and Shane Alexander, a left winger, would have a little point-counterpoint. And um, Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin on Saturday Night Live um, memorialized this forever with with the uh, fabulous line by Dan Aykroyd, Jane, you ignorant slut. Which exactly encapsulates what these things inevitably turn into when you have a crossfire style back and forth. I mean... you can't have these two panelists do anything but learn to hate each other as the seasons pass. <laughs> and they probably didn't need much time to, to learn that. They probably started with some, right off uh, the bat, yeah. some true animosity right off the bat. So that's what's going on here. We're going to talk about some legal stories, political stories, interesting, fun stories. Um, so let's kick it off with the Supreme Court, shall we, Connor? 
Please. So a lot of uh, liberals have been freaking out for some time about the 5-4 or 6-3 conservative majority. My God. Hence the calls to peck the court or impose age limits. But some people, Connor, good news for you folks on the left, they're saying it, it's not a, a 6-3 or a 5-4 court. It's a 3-3-3 court. So uh, let's refresh everybody's memory. You got three liberals, Sotomayor, Kagan, and Katanji Brown-Jackson. Okay, three liberals. On the right, you got three conservatives, Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito, and Justice Gorsuch. Now, that leaves Chief Justice Roberts and Kavanaugh, the evil Kavanaugh, who barely got through his, uh, his uh, confirmation hearing, and Amy Coney Barrett, in whom the, the dogma spoke loudly, according to yeah. the late Dianne Feinstein. Might be, might be slightly more evil, actually, but that's okay. So we all the, what some people are saying, Connor, is that the three sort of middle ones, you know, I'm, this is begging the question. We'll discuss whether they're really middle. Uh, Chief Justice Roberts, uh, Kavanaugh, Bert Kavanaugh. Uh, I'm getting Kavanaugh's first name wrong, but uh, it's we just call him <laughs> Justice Kavanaugh. Yeah. Schmedlap Kavanaugh. And Amy Coney Barrett are really Brett kind of moderates. They're pretty close. Because they're voting with the liberals in, in many cases. Now, it's not a new thing to see conservative justices drift left, drift left. Uh, justices Sandra Day O'Connor and Anthony Kennedy in their days were known as the swing votes. And they were known as the swing votes because by definition, you know, half the time you vote with the liberals and half the time you vote with the conservatives. Uh, and of course, don't get me started, Connor, on Justice David Souter. I think I got his first name right. Mm -hmm. um, because David Souter was appointed by George Bush, the senior, the elder. And he was, you know, Republican kind of guy. He instantly, over a short period of time, turned into the most flaming liberal on the United States Supreme Court. So you don't see that. You don't see that the other way. You don't see a liberal lefty end up being like William Buckley or Barry Goldwater. Not Thank sure exactly you. why that is. But anyway, um, and of course, Chief Justice Roberts famously saved Obamacare twice. There was the initial huge, very serious challenge that went up to the U.S. Supreme Court. And I, it was 5-4. And the reason it survived was because Chief Justice Roberts said, you know, um, I just don't think it's unconstitutional. Uh, Roberts and Kavanaugh and Barrett have all locked arms, Connor, with liberals in major cases, including one of the later Republican-led efforts to gut the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. And just recently, uh, uh, the three uh, that I mentioned uh, joined the liberals over the objections of Alito, Thomas and Gorsuch in pausing a controversial ruling against the Biden administration's work with social media companies on perceived misinformation. And, and there are a couple of more I can give you. In an Alabama case regarding redistricting, Roberts and Kavanaugh joined the liberals in a 5-4 decision against Alabama for racist redistricting. Right. And finally, I was a ghost gun case. And these ghost guns, they don't have serial numbers, so you can't track them. And so there was a, an injunction in, in, uh, uh, in a state against the sale of these ghost guns. And once again, the three liberals, plus Roberts, plus Amy Coney Barrett, uh, combined for a 5-4 order uh, mm -hmm. that was the harder on the ghost guns. So does this cause you to be calm and relaxed and are you very tranquil are you like those precogs floating in that soupy jacuzzi and <laughs> tom cruise's minority report i i don't know you if feel you feel like a pre-cog pre connor 
I don't know if you remember that movie, but they were decidedly. How could not I not hot. remember it? If I could remember all that stuff about the soupy jacuzzi, huh? They were not very calm in that movie. They were actually very stressed out about the oh, whole. They? I thought they, they were dozing. Game. I thought their eyes were closed, and only when somebody was about to murder the guy that was uh, stooping his wife did they wake up and say, "Tom, Tom, go to four seven five Mockingbird Lane now." This is now a movie reviewing podcast uh, and radio show. No, look, they, you're right, but, but for about the first minute and a half of the movie. And then immediately things get complicated as is usually the case in movies. And uh, usually as they wait also, 22 minutes before that's true. Uh, a, a crack in the status quo is perceived by the protagonist. How but, will he deal with this crisis in an emotionally satisfying way for all the rest of us who want a happy ending? And this is exactly the same sort of thing. When you start looking at the Supreme Court, it lasts about 22 minutes before you start seeing the cracks uh, in the uh, people's assumptions about how the Supreme Court really works uh, and how easy and obvious it is to predict the outcomes. Oh, it's a 5-4 uh, or a 6-3 uh, yeah, or a 7 usually pretty majority. easy. You're right. It, it looks like it will be. Uh, but as the, the reason that I am not... Uh, uh, sleeping easy in, in this case uh, is because I recognize that. I recommend Ambien. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. That the game theory reality of a nine member court is that when you have very ideologically firm and uh, presidentially appointed, therefore political offices, uh, and you have only nine of them. So it's very easy to lay out, okay, well, I mean, come on, uh, Clarence Thomas is not about to join the liberals on some big liberal case uh, because he is so far ideologically from the other. Then the ones well, if that Joe are, Biden were nicer to him during his confirmation hearing in the early 90s, maybe he wouldn't be so angry and right. Maybe, maybe you're right. But the 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 game theory outcome is that the person who is closest to being able and willing to flip becomes the most powerful person on the Supreme Court. Yeah, instead of the Roberts Court, it's the, the Kennedy Court or the O'Connor Court. Yeah, and this is not ever going to be a Clarence Thomas court because Clarence Thomas is never going to be the deciding vote, right? Either well, he's actually, let me, let me disagree with you. Now, I, I just gave you a, a bunch of cases that undermine my theory. But, you know, some people are saying that nowadays it's more like a 3-3-3 court. But until recently, until last six or eight months, Connor, I, I think in general, it, it, people were actually talking about it becoming the Clarence Thomas court for this reason. They have this inside baseball rule at the court. And, and the rule is, OK, you got a case, nine justices, you take a straw vote, you see mm -hmm. how people are probably going to vote. They could always change their mind later, but generally right. you know, they don't change their mind. And the deal is uh, you figure out who's in the majority, five or six, whatever the majority is. And then you figure out who is the senior justice in that majority? And that senior justice in the winning side, on the winning side, gets to pick who writes the opinions. Now, right, which often, is important. Very, yeah, important. very important. Yeah, often the chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court is in the majority. And of course, he's automatically, Roberts is automatically the most senior person because he's the chief. But in many cases leading up to the last six months or so, there were five, four conservative majorities where Clarence Thomas not Chief Justice Roberts, was the senior person in the five. And so Thomas got to pick who wrote the opinion. So uh, they were starting to talk about how this is the Clarence Thomas court. I think, A, 
you've seen some more liberal decisions out of Gorsuch and, and Amy Coney Barrett, and B, right. Clarence Thomas has been fending off the allegations of unethical stuff. So I think he's kind of not in ascendancy any longer. But that's true. Uh, I, I interrupted your point, so please. Uh, no, continue. no, it it, w- it was a very good one, and, and you're right. There has been a lot of talk about because of that seniority power to determine who writes the opinion. In a way, it was a sort of Thomas Court, and you can have uh, the. Somebody in the majority, you know, squarely in the majority, the most ideologically extreme person run the court, as we saw, for example, in in famous courts uh, in the past, like uh, in the, you know, sort of. Uh, depression in post-World War II era. Uh, we had um, the famous uh, court that was run by a liberal um, who uh, sort of revolutionized things. We're talking Civil Rights Act type stuff. Uh, that court was dominated by uh, the majority, which makes intuitive sense because they had such a large and strong majority that they were able to uh, you know, do whatever they wanted because they were a unitary block. Whereas now, as you described, this whole 3-3-3 potential split, which is, in my mind, not truly a 3-3-3 split. The, I think the differences between the conservative justices are so minor that they'll vote as a block on the important stuff uh, regardless, uh, because they really don't want to risk their own legacies uh, uh, in terms of big conservative things. But they are happy and willing to flex when their pet projects come up, right? Like Gorsuch, for example, uh, who's famously very big on Indian uh, American Indian law, um, and, and has had some pretty liberal uh, uh, decisions as a result of his focus on that area. Um, I mean, we see examples, even when there is a, a strong you know, outcome, there was a, a, a June 15 uh, of this year, there was a, a challenge to ICWA, the Indian Child Welfare Act, um, that tried to keep children uh, within, uh, Native American children within tribes, uh, and, and and therefore basically have your, your biological Native American parents be able to say, I'm sorry, you can't adopt my child out of the reservation mm-hmm. uh, without my permission, as long as I, you know, check the boxes and, and go through the process, even if the child's been adopted, their, their real parents can uh, uh, get custody of them back. And that outcome was a 7-2 vote. So it looks like a slam dunk. But the conservative majority did not decide the key question uh, about discrimination. They didn't use this uh, case to make some grand conservative point or argument about whether ICWA, the Indian Child Welfare Act, is by, on its well, hear, face discriminatory. I hear, I hear your point, Connor. We have to actually pause. I guess me, I'm, I'm happy if, it, if it's 6'3 conservative. Yeah, I, I'd rather have that. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. And we're talking about the theory that the Supreme Court is not five to four or six to three conservative. It's actually three, three and three. Three conservatives, three liberals, and three right in the middle that are 
sort of fluid that move back and forth. It's like gender fluidity. And, and I know you had one more point, Connor. I want to. I wanted to make a, a super crucial point. You talked about um, uh, the idea of uh, some justices being squarely in the majority. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that all the justices are squares. And I'm glad about that, Connor, because, you know, John Fetterman can wear his hoodie and his flip flops and his gym shorts uh-huh. on the floor of the Senate if he, yeah. if he wants to try to do it. Although I think even Chuck Schumer agreed maybe that was a bad idea. Yeah. But, I, Connor, I don't think there's anybody like that on the Supreme Court. And doggone it, I, I hope there never is. Lawyers are yeah, nerds, the big nerds. <laughs> serious and, work uh, yeah. equals serious clothing. I mean, that I know I'm old fashioned, but I just don't like the idea of leisure suits and Nehru jackets on the floor of the United States Senate. And so fortunately, all of our Supreme Court justices, they wear basic black. That's Yeah, that's true. And and everybody looks black. It's very good and black. It's very slimming. So that's good, even (laughs) when it's a robe. Overall, to go big picture on this, the the issue of uh, whether the Supreme Court is, you know, the, we're always trying to read the tea leaves, right? Everyone in the media generally is obsessed with predictions and uh, and analysis of what's coming down the pike next, because that's what sells newspapers. But it's also our future that we got to live through, right? That's real important. So what is this court going to do next? Okay. The liberals got some soft wins in some areas. The conservatives ended Roe v. Wade. They expanded gun rights, and they basically cut off at the knees the chance for the federal government to regulate uh, uh, climate change and combat climate change. Uh, and then there were a bunch of separation church and state losses for the liberals, where the conservatives won on those. I mean, overall, I think that's the future. The future is uh, right now they're dealing with so much crap uh, for for Clarence Thomas, and they're dealing with the threat of uh, of the upcoming presidential election. And these guys are not idiots. They're not apolitical animals, right? These are human beings with political preferences, <clears throat> and they want the guy that appointed them, Donald Trump, <clears throat> or another conservative, to be president. So they're trying to maintain the legitimacy of the court as well as they can until that election uh, is done and dusted. And I'll tell you what, I bet we get the first term after that, uh, win or lose, Biden or Trump, we're going to get some fiercely conservative opinions once uh, the handcuffs are off. Hmm. Well, we shall see. Uh, I will say, Connor, you uh, mentioned the inevitability of of the future. Uh, Let me ask you, have you ever heard of a group called the Firesign Theater? No comedy group from the 1970s just incredibly funny uh they had a uh, an album uh, titled don't crush that dwarf hand me the pliers now today they might have gotten some flack because i'm interesting you're not really supposed to say pliers are you no i'm sorry you're not supposed to say dwarf are you well, if a person has the medical condition dwarfism it's fine but the the real problem is the m word oh well we won't do that we, we yeah. won't mention the m word anyway to quote the Fire Sign Theater, the future can't wait, no place to hide. That was one of their slogans. Oh, now, when I was rooming with Rex Barron in college at UCLA, Rex loved to play that album almost as much as he loved to play Jethro Tell's uh, Thick as a Brick, uh, Aqualung album. Um, and so we all kind of memorized the entire you know, hour-long comedy album, and the future can't wait, no place to hide, was one line. So I, I'm sure there are many members of our audience, Connor, who are just really loving this trip down memory lane. I bet there are. You know, maybe. Some. 
Maybe one and a half. You know, Rex. <laughs> you uh, count. That's one. Rex is a, a, an amazing artist. He, he resides in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He, uh, you know, what? I just thought of something, Connor. What if Rex is in the witness protection program, and I've just outed him? Oh yeah, definitely. You just doxed him for sure. <laughs> I think if he's in the witness protection program, they'll change his name. <laughs> what if there was a really incompetent? Uh, clerk in the witness protection program, and, and he just sort of accidentally gave Rex the same name he's always had. <laughs> this sounds like a premise of a movie. Uh, a good one. So this is now the premise for our next segment here on Too Many Lawyers. When we come back, there's a restaurant up in Oakland that charges a vomit fee of $50 if you dare to do that in their restaurant. We'll be right back. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. And as promised, Connor, we're going to talk about uh, folks barfing in restaurants. <laughs> Thank you. Know, you. It, it seems like an unpleasant topic, but... Uh, oh, no, this is great. Got some implications. So you're going you're gonna to hit the town. You want to go to dinner at a nice restaurant. So many choices. You get your old favorites. Got places your friends like. Lots of reviews. Uh, uh-huh. Newspapers, if, if there were any newspapers anymore. <laughs> so you check the reviews and, oh, this looks interesting. In Oakland... Oakland, California, there's a spot called Kitchen Story, and it has a special rule for customers, Connor. They charge a $50 vomit fee to anybody who throws up in their restaurants. I probably should have warned everybody to cover the ears of their children for this one, right? Or anyone with a delicate stomach. (laughs) Yeah, cover your stomach. Yeah. Anyway, the damage is done. Kids had to find out sooner or later about restaurants. Kids are the worst vomit perpetrators of all. (laughs) Well, the younger they are. That's actually not true. So the reason that these exist, not just because you know everything's more expensive now, uh, the restaurant industry has suffered since COVID, uh, costs have been skyrocketing, inflation hits them very hard in the same way that inflation hits your groceries, it hits restaurants too. And the margins on restaurant profits are really low and always have been. Um, and as a result... Um, Except for the- Homewood. That's true. There are some fancy places, it's true, that have enormous margins. Uh, But it's hard to be one of those fancy places. It's much, much more common to be a a, a mom and pop little diner and and have it be just brutally uh, uh, difficult, uh, the small margins. Uh, But the reason that these uh, vomit fees have cropped up is because people are going to bottomless mimosa brunches and they're going buck wild. They're just being ridiculously wow. so it's really the fault of the restaurateur yeah kind of like well, a hotelier that you mentioned l- last week's show that's true you're kind of right if you if you uh you know hold bottomless mimosa brunches well you better reap the you're gonna reap the whirlwind that you have wrought all right i'm sorry that you invited a bunch of drunk 20 somethings to sp- to you know overpay for mostly orange juice in your bar uh and sometimes they're gonna they're gonna toss their cookies so connor you uh i mentioned homewood a minute ago and you kind of you know 
skipped right over it quickly. I think <laughs> I think the listeners are entitled to hear the full story. Now I'm going to start, but you, you remember the details better than I. So uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, for those of you new to the show, Connor is my son. Right. So he he's younger Sometimes. than I am. Yeah. So um, when you were about, what would you say? Were you 12 at this time? Probably. Yeah. Okay. So you were about 12. And so we went up to this super fancy restaurant in Northern California. I don't know how or why we were there. It was kind of like the French Laundry where Gavin Newsom saw his uh, political career crash and burn. Uh, it's Although, doing okay. Like a yeah, phoenix, he's rising right. again. Yeah. Although ironically, to digress a moment, all of this international stuff, you can't buy millions of publicity sitting down with the freaking warden of China. Did I say warden? I meant, I meant president. Uh-huh. Sitting down with the president of China. I mean, two of them in the great hall of whatever, in the fancy ornate chairs. I mean, talk about president in waiting. Plus, he goes over to Israel and he consoles everybody. Ironically, Connor, the public opinion polls say he is sinking like a stone among Californians. Now, I, you know, things are pretty rough in the Golden State, but they've been rough for years. We've been a one party state for years. I thought people were kind of OK with the track we're on. But I mean, he seriously is down 15, 20 points, even among Democrats. Yeah. And here he's on the brink of taking over control of the presidency. All we need is one one little sandbag for Joe to trip over again. And boom, the, the, the Democratic power brokers are not going to put Kamala in there. And they're going to put Gavin in or Amy Klobuchar or Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan. Uh, I, do you have a theory as to why Californians would be souring on Gavin as his international and national profile goes up? Do they think, well, take care of our problems here at home? But I didn't realize that they knew we had any problems. No, I, I think that is probably a, uh, a a large part of it. I think a, a lot of Californians recognize that politicians see the governorship of California as stepping stone to the presidency, uh, that you're going to pull a Ronald Reagan, uh, and they don't really like that. Nobody likes to be a stepping stone. They want the governor of California to be a Don't you want friends in high places? You, it would be nice once he is president, but... If I'll say most people don't get to become president, actually, even if they try of all the people who run for it, the vast majority don't even get it. So I've noticed that. Yeah. Numerically, it's kind of like so, buying a lottery ticket. It is kind and of, by like the way, mathematicians ticket. have studied this, Connor. And I saw this very interesting the other day. Um, they've established that the odds of winning the lottery are basically the same whether you buy a ticket or not. That's a very good point. But there, the, these boring, dumb scientists are missing out on the reality of the fact that buying a lottery tic is, ticket is a, is a tiny little license to daydream. You're allowed now to daydream in a way that it feels, feels frivolous and, and ridiculous or, or dumb for you not to daydream, or for you to daydream if you haven't bought the lottery ticket. But just holding that magical piece of paper uh, in your hot little hand, uh, it, it, it gives you that license, which is nice. No, it's actually so everybody, it, all our listeners go out there and blow all your money on lottery tickets. OK, it, it's also legal to dream, uh, not just daydream, but dream on the job. I think we talked about this on the show a couple of weeks ago. Uh, some guy worked for the government doing some clerk job and he had a problem, a narcolepsy he just, right. or depression or a combination. And he would sleep a good chunk of each day. So they fired him and he sued and he won. Because the court said, you know, the Americans with Disabilities Act says that uh, if you have a physical or a mental problem, boss has to make reasonable accommodations for you. And apparently uh, the federal government did not make reasonable accommodations for the fact that their employee was sleeping most of the day. 
reasonable accommodations can be a process that you undergo in order Very to find out <laughs> to find out to what degree this person who has a disability can perform the the tasks the the duties necessary uh, to fulfill the function of this job uh, and you can't, you say, go du- you can't say duty on, on the radio connor i'm sorry really good point absolutely i'm so sorry to our listeners i, I take i take it all back you know, we got distracted. We were telling the story about Homewood. So yes. you were about 12, the whole family, yes. your two sisters. I tried and, again, but it didn't work. And your mom and I go to this show and it's got incredible prices. Like I, my eyes were popping out like some sort of a Roger Rabbit cartoon when he sees Jessica Rabbit's cleavage, right? Right. right. Stole that line from John Phillips. Thank you very much, John Phillips. Oh, John had a great line, another great line the other day. I, I even texted him to uh, tell him how much I appreciate it. John is heard, by the way, on KBC Radio, Talk Radio 790 in Los Angeles, uh, noon to three every Monday through Friday. He was talking about how bad off Biden is, and he says, Biden has got one foot in the casket and one foot on a banana peel. Now, how's that for a good line, okay? Is a, it is a good line. It's true. I don't know if John wrote it, but anyway, so we go to this restaurant. I, I just like to see Donald Trump ride a bicycle, okay? C- can we get that? If we're going to talk about slipping and falling and being unsteady and who's too freaking old, yeah, I know it's Biden's 81st birthday this week. Congrats, Sleepy Joe. I get it. But let's be. let's at least be real here be even-handed we live in a gerontocracy the world is run by the oldest freaking people on the planet uh and it absolutely should not Mitch mcconnell be. is younger than he looks yeah mitch mcconnell uh it doesn't want to incur any more wrinkles so he just freezes in place hoping not to create laugh lines that's that's <laughs> his strategy at the moment and it's working it's working mitch you look great so there we are in the restaurant, super fancy, and we're all just really concerned about these prices. You know, I'm, I'm ordering ketchup and some warm water. And your mom orders some saltine crackers. Uh, one of your sisters orders a, a salad, but please, no dressing because, you know, there's a separate charge for the dressing. Now you, it's your turn, Connor. You get to describe what, what you did when it was your turn to tell the fancy waiter what you wanted on the Homewood menu. Okay, so we start ordering, going around the table, and the menu. I covered that already. The menu has has all these you know items with prices on them next to it. That often uh, that often is the case, except in super fancy restaurants where Madame Madame receives the menu with no prices because good. the gentleman is paying. But they didn't <laughs> have that there. Whether you're yeah. a gentleman or a madam or right. whatever or a hooker or, or a sex worker, right. you got to see the prices. So continue, sure. please. So we're marching down the list. And, you know, I'm not super focused on the prices because I'm 12. You're 12, of course. Yeah. And I notice uh, that of the, it's only there's only like six or seven items on the list. And it's a big table, so I have a bunch of people around it. Well, okay. Uh, this person orders uh, the hamburger. This person orders the steak. This person orders a wedge salad. Nobody has ordered the fixed menu, and it gets all the way around, all the way around. And I'm, I mean, I'm eyeing the kids' menu macaroni and cheese for sure. But then my little sister orders that, and I was like, "Well, somebody's got to try whatever this fixed." That's just menu basic logic. Somebody is. has to try the most expensive freaking thing on the menu, right? Oh, I, I, and I'm supposed to magically know that because the numbers are next to it that show the prices, that, that means it's the most expensive. What, what am I, mind well, reader? You were 12. You could compare and contrast the figures, right? Probably. You're familiar with the concept of the decimal point and the stuff to the left is more important, right? I guess you're right. Yeah. So what was so it, 150 ordered, bucks? I probably, and it came out, it's like 12 courses long and yeah. every course is like the world's smallest plate. 
think we arranged with, for like, everybody to share, but it, it just it just showed us that you're you were a kid that that enjoyed luxury. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. It was, no, I didn't enjoy it. It was awful. Every single course was like a piece of seaweed with like avocado foam on it or something, and I was like, "This is you garbage." Should be a restaurant reviewer. This is not food. <laughs> You mentioned, by the way, Joe Biden's age. I thought it was interesting um, that you know we're doing everything we can, Connor, to not get back to the vomit fee aspect of this story. I thought it was God. interesting that some of Biden's advisors are saying, "We gotta, we gotta see the humor in in your age, Joe." Uh, and that's why they had him sit next to his birthday cake uh, yesterday, which was his eighty first birthday, and the cake looks like it has about three hundred nine-inch candles candles on it. I mean, it looks like it, they're singeing his eyebrows, and he's smiling. And apparently yeah. that was part of their effort. Oh, let's have a little fun with the age thing. Let's kind of, let's take the sting out of it. I don't know that that's taking the sting out of it. I, the fact that they've got him wearing uh, tennis shoes now, the fact that they are now scheduling his day so that he walks the fewest possible number of steps in public because he looks like, you know, Ed Grimley at age 115. Um, I don't know. You think this is working? A life of politics really takes it out of you. I think it, 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 it can took be, it out it of him. It can be sapping. But uh, you know what? Honestly, for everything that he's uh, done and for how many decades he's been uh, in uh, American politics, the fact that he's survived all this time, eh, that's an achievement in and of itself. You can say the same thing about King Tut. He's been around lots of centuries, too, but ah. I wouldn't want him being pharaoh of all the Egyptians. Okay, Tut, DeSantis, 2024. It's agreed. <laughs> all right, so let's get back to the um, the vomit fee story. There's a sign posted. That's and you a joke it, I would never kind of, vote for. You called uh, it about the, the mimosa, yeah. we, in case anybody is just tuning in to a story we started <laughs> talking about 10 minutes ago. Uh, a restaurant in Oakland, California, charges $50 cleaning fee if you throw up in public areas, they say, dear mimosa lovers, please drink responsibly and know your limits. Thanks for your understanding. So this, Connor, means all is not lost. You can, you know, visit the unisex bathroom. It's Oakland. So I'm betting $5 the bathroom is unisex. Sure. And you can just toss all the cookies you want and there's no fee. But nice. if you lose it in the public areas, by the way, the sign that says, um, you know, public areas. Thanks for your understanding. There's a smiley face at the bottom of it. Oh, so that's that's, nice. that's festive. That's nice. So that's it's better than the the Texas. I think we talked about this a few weeks ago on the show. The Texas judge who uh, he presided over a capital punishment case. Jury found the guy guilty. Judge determined, yeah, the death penalty is appropriate. And the judge in the case who presides has to sign the death warrant that you know goes to the prison. And he signed the death warrant with his name, punctuated by a smiley face and have a good day so the judicial council in texas connor they're very strict that's uh, not good about their judges so they they hauled him up and he got into a lot of trouble and he said hey it was a force of habit i always include a smiley face after my signature so so sue me and i think they allowed him to stay on the, the bench that's so uh, there's another restaurant up in the bay area connor the lovely bay area uh, it's home plate on lombard street the crookedest street in the world they have a similar policy. Uh, signs posted around the restaurant and on the menu. Oh, ooh, that could hurt your appetite. It's right yeah. there on the menu. Ask diners to please drink responsibly. $50 cleaning fee per person for any incident incurred as a result of intoxication. Oh, I get it. So that's fair. So if you get tomain poisoning from their really lousy food, 
<laughs> and you lose it all over everything, they're not going to charge you a cleanup fee. So that makes sense, right? Nice, That's just yeah. fundamental fairness. It is. Yeah. Okay. So uh, a whole bunch of other brunch restaurants in the Bay Area are using these um, these approaches. Um, they, they they use mimosa ferries. Have you heard about mimosa ferries, Connor? No. These are servers, waiters, devoted to monitoring the intake, alcoholic intake of guests. I don't know why they call them mimosa fairies. Maybe they flit around like Tinkerbell from, from the, the wonderful I uh, guess. Peter Pan yeah. story. Uh-huh. Anyway, so um, that would be a little awkward. You're, you're pounding down your mimosas, and up comes a fairy and looks at you like, uh, I think we're going to have to cut you off. Well, I, I think guess. they're also responsible for refilling the bottomless mimosas. <laughs> oh, maybe so. But also, it's sort of a strategy if you empower the people who are doing the refilling to monitor the guests' intake, you accomplish a, a moderation, an effective moderation in the same way that uh, cocktail waitresses in Las Vegas uh, moderate your ability to get free drinks while sitting at a, yeah. a blackjack table. Exactly. They just don't come around and, often. And also, enough. I was thinking of stewardesses on planes. They have to yeah. make sure that guys... You know, that already have three drinks in them and so they're starting to grow up as passengers are, are cut off. Hey, when we come back, um, some creeps setting up shop across the street from elementary schools. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Talk about that on Too Many Lawyers. Stay with us. Welcome back. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So, Connor, um, we're shifting gears here uh, from the all-important topic of the uh, vomit fee in uh, Oakland to the fact that in various spots around the country, uh, Northern California, uh, Southern California, uh, we've got some uh, creeps setting up shop across the street from um, uh, elementary schools, uh, and the cops are scratching their heads wondering what they can really do about it. And I, I know you've got the facts about this, uh, this fentanyl guy up in Northern California. Yeah, the case that um, that sort of has has brought this issue to the fore and has created the issue, I think, in in the media is that a, a guy who is a convicted sex offender who knows what that means. It could be something you know terrible. It could be uh, convicted of urinating in public. Sometimes people end up with sex offender charges for that sort of thing. Um, but he, uh, after having been released or done his time or whatever on that charge, uh, set up an encampment where he's living across from a Catholic. Uh, school, an elementary school. And he has a sign in the front of the school, uh, of his encampment that says, free fentanyl for, the number four, new users. And it's pointed, of course, at the elementary school. So uh, this has got a lot of people scratching their heads. Why? Why has he done this? What does this sign mean? What is, what is the purpose of, of this? Mm-hmm. And if you listen to him and to his lawyer uh, in court specifically, uh, because he has been arrested, uh, at, but then released again, as he uh, uh, awaits a trial for a, a public nuisance charge, um, his lawyer is explaining that this is a statement about free speech. And somebody who's had multiple prior run-ins with law enforcement that 
you know, caught a sex offender charge, maybe didn't appreciate that charge, didn't think it was warranted, who knows why, uh, but thinks his free speech rights are being infringed in some way. This uh, is a very, is very clearly uh, a, a sort of uh, a parody. It appears to be a, a parody political statement, right? It, it calls to mind the famous Supreme Court uh, case. Uh, sorry, with bongs. Exactly. Actually, it wasn't a Supreme Court case, but it was a, a, a high a court of appeal case, I think. And the it was a bunch of high school students, um, and as the Olympic torch passed their high school in Alaska, <clears throat> they <clears throat> congregated across the street from high school, off of school property, and they held up a sign that said "Bong hits for Jesus." <clears throat> so I think I think this actually did uh, go up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Oh, a classic, fantastic, and is in most of these cases that do get appealed uh, and have to do with students' rights on uh, campuses uh, or even across the street from campuses, uh, the court was more than happy to smack down these uh, impertinent high school students and say, no, this is not free speech and the school may punish you for what you have done, which they did. They suspended the students uh, despite the students doing this off uh, campus and after school had let out because they'd said, oh, the Olympic torch is coming and everybody wants to go watch it. So you can all leave your classrooms. We're done for the day. So despite all that release of power, the school still had the power to control them because America cares about free speech in certain specific contexts, uh, but in a lot of ways, especially when it comes to uh, uh, underage people uh, and schools uh, or uh, convicted criminals in prisons uh, or any other sort of American institution that's real important, like, you know, prison, super, super duper American, um, they, uh, they don't really care that much about uh, free speech. And so this situation with this guy and a free fentanyl for new users sign, uh, if it were to go up uh, uh, in front of a court, I suspect it'd be a similar uh, outcome. I think the judges being inherently conservative minded that is conserving the status quo are probably going to say to this guy, you can't put that uh, you know, across the street from a school. Um, you can't entice children, even if you think it is um, a, a joke um, or, or a lie, because what if he's using it to entice children to come close, right? So uh, one question I have is um, when he says free fentanyl for first time users, how can he know if little Timmy in fourth grade is truly a first time fentanyl user? That's a very Timmy could question. be lying. I mean, blood test probably wouldn't help if it's already out of his system. That's By the way, point. Connor, the other sign he had was will trade methamphetamines for stolen goods. And remember, this guy is a convicted child molester. So, and the cops, as I was saying, were frustrated. We don't really know what law he was breaking. Right. So, you know, as you said, they got him for a day or two because he got into a fight with somebody. Uh, But here's the deal. Um, Parents are are furious about this. Of course. And and, uh, no crime in the books. Are you kidding me? Why not? This is not a matter of this creep's constitutional right to be a creep and speak. Communities have the inherent power to protect kids. For example, no cannabis dispensaries within X feet of a school. Right. No porn shops. No sex workers trudging up and down the street within X feet of a school. Why not no creeps who have these signs who are convicted child molesters? And by the way, there was another in, in Norwalk in the Los Angeles area. Parents of students there at the uh, an elementary school are really pissed over the fact that there's a guy who's repeatedly spotted in his SUV recording kids on his smartphone as they leave the school's campus. They've called him the creeper, of course. And uh, I mean, and they're frustrated because the cops really aren't doing much there either. Until the officials are willing to do something or until legislators or city council people are willing to pass a law against this, 
parents, I mean, they're going to start taking the law into their own hands. Hey, we're out of time for this uh, segment, but we're going to be right back on Too Many Lawyers. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So, Connor, say what you will about Joe Biden. I maybe he's Maybe he's lost a step. Maybe he's lost a couple of miles worth of steps. I, I'm not an expert on that. But sometimes when you're kind of unfiltered, 80 years old, you don't focus on saying diplomatic things. In other words, lying, deceitful things. You accidentally blurt out the truth. So Biden shows up at the big economic summit a few days ago in San Francisco. And of course, he's chatting up reporters and he dropped a little bomb on China's President Xi. Not literally a bomb. Let's be clear. Thankfully. Um, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken was there. Uh, he was not happy. He was actually he actually winced when Biden uh, made his comment about the uh, Chinese uh, leader, Xi's president of China. Yes, Biden called him a dictator. He used the D word. Yikes! This was in a press conference uh, after the. Uh, the meeting that was supposed to smooth our frayed U.S.-China right. relations. And it was a kind of a multi-part uh, process. We had a lot of stuff. She came over here. He didn't just stop in for uh, a, a, you know, a cup of coffee with Joe. They actually a cup had of a, Joe a, for, with Joe? a cup of Joe. Right. It had an extended, extended meeting on multiple topics. Uh, and this is seen as a sort of a major thawing. There was a uh, a freezing over, a chilling effect of the uh, in the relations between the U.S. and China um, as a result, in part, of uh, Joe Biden doing this exact thing, where he said, not in Xi's presence, uh, it, he said that uh, China uh, was a dictatorship, that Xi was a dictator. And that was part of his speech, and he was making a point. I believe he probably ad-libbed that part of the speech. Uh, but it really did not sit well with the Chinese president. And as a result, uh, we had a, a, a chilly relationship, as we've had for years now, uh, but it got worse, right? We have, uh, for example, you all may have seen the uh, the news articles about the, the, the loss of the pandas. Uh, China <laughs> has control of all pandas. No, there, are, there are no pandas in the in a zoo anywhere. International law is enunciated by the Hague. Who says they they control? What if you happen to have a panda in your backyard, Connor? Would China have a right to it? Just send over a drone and pick it up? That's exactly. Well, I'm sure China does have a law that says that because they have a lot of laws in that vein. Uh, but it doesn't really matter because you can't breed pandas in captivity. Very, very, very few people can do it. And they're all in China. So even these zoos uh, in uh, the rest of the world, even if they wanted uh, to, to breed uh, pandas, uh, they wouldn't be able to. And China has not, over its history, just handed them out. Right. They have only ever said, well, if you want a panda for your zoo, we will loan it to you. But it's still our panda and you have to give it back whenever we say. And just a couple of months ago, uh, after Biden's first uh, dictator comment, they said, give them all back everywhere, U.S., Europe, Asia, doesn't matter. All the pandas are coming home. And now after this 
re- this thawing of relations uh, and and the, uh, the 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 reaching out by Biden and having doing all these photo ops and walking in the rose garden and talking about you know are we going to go to war over Taiwan because of microchips? Please don't, uh, but we probably are. Oops, um, all that. We had a new announcement from China that said you might just get your pandas back. They, they might be going back out as envoys of friendship to the most important countries that China believes are on its side. Uh, so that could be the deciding factor in uh, the, the war with Taiwan that's coming. Uh, is Biden, does he care enough about the pandas Boy, uh, to give guys, up on the poor island of Taiwan? Those guys from China, Connor, they are tough, threatening us with taking their pandas back from our zoos. Brutal. I mean, can you imagine that that wimp Kim Jong-un in North Korea threatening us with <laughs> nuclear bombs. <laughs> we Never. laugh at that, but losing the pandas, give me a break. You know, it, it, it's funny. Biden had a, um, a pretty lucid explanation when they said, are you sure he's really a dictator, Mr. President? Do you want to say that? And he said, look, he is. He didn't say, look, he is man. He just said, look, he is. He's a <laughs> dictator time. in the sense that he's a guy who runs a country that is a communist country that's based on a form of government totally different than ours. You go, Joe. Three years in office, you finally got something right. I'm proud of him for saying I mean, look, that. This is, the, this is why it has always baffled me. It's so ridiculous that, that Trump has been successful in building up this mythos about him that the, the his supporters and conservatives generally will say things like, well, at least Trump will say it like it is. At least, first of all, no, he won't. He lies constantly. He says whatever is to his own advantage, even if it is offensive or rude, but that's not calling it like it is. That's lying to spin things in your own favor. Biden hasn't always, has, isn't always has been the guy who will get in a ton of trouble for calling it like it is. And Connor. so if that's who you like, Sleepy Joe's your man, voters. I'm sorry, throw your MAGA hats and pick up whatever it is the I don't know, Democrats wear. Okay, they Connor, don't because they're not in a cult. They don't wear hats. You're familiar with Godwin's Law, uh-huh. which says that if you compare the person you don't like to Hitler, uh-huh. the first person to make a Hitler comparison loses the argument. It's true. Okay? Yes. Don't you worry that when we were talking about she and Biden, you felt compelled to mention Trump. Don't you worry that there's a corollary to Godwin's law, the first person to bring Trump into the discussion, uh, even though it really isn't about Trump, should lose the argument? Aren't you That's concerned about point. that? That's a good point, but I'm not concerned because in order for someone to call me out on it like you just did, they had to mention Hitler, thus losing the argument first oh, via right. Godwin's law. So I'm so, safe. Yeah, it's kind of, kind of a, a stalemate. So um, here's the deal. Uh, I, I said, Joe, you finally got something right. Speaking of getting something right, Connor, um, did you happen to notice how nice and shiny San Francisco looked for the Xi uh, economic summit meeting? I did not. Yeah. 20 years of homelessness encircling the drain and the destruction of one of the grandest cities on the planet, San Francisco, in the space of a week. They cleaned up the town. Connor, there were no homeless in sight, no encampments, no open air drug markets, no poop or syringes on the ground. Why? Because the dictator was coming to town and the Democrats who run the show in California didn't want to be embarrassed. But it's been a couple of days now since the warden from China went back home. Check back in a week or two. What do you bet the city by the bay dives right back into the <clears throat> status 
it's had for a long time. I mean, I, they've been, we've been told, well, you can't do it. You know, the judges say, you don't have enough shelter beds. How did they clean it up? There, I mean, obviously, you know, I want to put your best foot forward. And Gavin Newsom made the analogy, well, when you have company coming over and you got uh, socks and your underwear on the ground, you put them in the hamper, right? That's what you do. So that's a real nice analogy, Gavin Newsom. The homeless people are all like, dirty underwear to you. But I mean, yeah, I know you, you clean it up a little. But the fact that they were able to do it and it was spick and span, don't San Franciscans deserve that 52 weeks a year, Connor, not just one? Great point. You're absolutely right. We should offer massively larger social services packages to help the homeless. I didn't uh, say get that. Out of their no, situation. I'm not going that far. Yeah, we just want all the benefits. Whatever they did anyway. for the last <laughs> week, let's just repeat that. I don't know if that's massive. I don't think maybe it was more expensive this last week than in previous weeks. And it would require us to raise taxes in order to, or incur more government debt, things that conservatives are not willing to do. Uh, and in fact, hamstring the people oh, in I charge. I Ronald Reagan incurred all sorts of debt. Haven't the Democrats been moaning and groaning about him doing that in order to win the Cold War for decades? And and the conservatives didn't care about that. In fact, they they cheered it because, you know, when your guy does it, it's not actually bad. They're Therefore, causing the conservative message of small government, low taxes to ring hollow and because they don't actually care about fiscal responsibility. Well, That's just what they say. On the other hand, there is the spending, then they're spending. Ronald Reagan spends billions on bombs and bankrupts the Soviet Union, uh, freeing hundreds of millions from tyranny. Gavin Newsom spends $100 billion on a train that went to Wasco right outside of Bakersfield. So isn't it fair to say then that government can do good? Oh, absolutely. Spending, it can. Yeah, government it just spending has to involve bullets and, and, and tanks and things right. like that. Yeah, absolutely. From, no medicine, only bullets. Got it. Okay. Well, no, if the bullet hits somebody, we're going to give them medicine. What are we, monsters? I mean, yes, but okay. <laughs> I hear you. So getting back to Joe Biden calling uh, Warden Xi a dictator. Um, boy, the Secretary of State, he just he'd been laying the groundwork for this meeting for months of careful oh, yeah. diplomacy. That's his job. He's the Secretary of State. An Italian diplomat named Marco Carnelos. Uh, he saw Biden's body language and he said, 12 months of a hard work and a diplomacy thrown in the toilet with a simple word. <laughs> and that's that's as good as it gets when it comes to my Italian accent. It's impression. really good, too. So the U.S.-Chinese diplomatic relations, as you were alluding to this earlier, they're founded on the whole idea of America acknowledging the one China policy, where the Chinese Communist Party is considered the legitimate ruler of the country. <laughs> and their claims to own the independent island of Taiwan are acknowledged, but not backed. But obviously, we're prepared to, to help and defend Taiwan. Biden has, has said in the past that if uh, Taiwan's attacked by China, we will help. But then the White House tries to clarify his remarks and say, oh, well, it's, 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 it's not that simple. China, though, you're, you, as you pointed out, Connor, China was not happy about no. being having their leader called a dictator. <laughs> they said, this statement is extremely wrong and irresponsible political manipulation. Foreign Ministry spokesperson Mao Ning told reporters on Thursday at a routine briefing. Uh, now, here's a question for you, Connor. I used my... Uh, lame, cheesy Italian uh, accent uh -huh. a minute ago. And I doubt that there's, I doubt that a bunch of mafia guys are going to, you know, write in uh, to the station and the podcast companies and say, you know, this is Royals terrible. But if I had used a lame, cheesy uh, Chinese accent right. in quoting Mao Ning, as I did just a moment ago, 
Yes. I think I would have been in considerably more trouble. Why, why is Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Are, so, are Chinese people more important than Italian people? So, so I don't know if you remember this, but there was something called the Chinese Exclusion Act. The Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 was an act of Congress by the United States signed by President Chester A. Arthur that was an absolute ban on Chinese laborers entering, uh, emigrating to the United States. Right. The, the history around relations between multiple races is what makes uh, you doing an accent, uh, good or bad, funny or not, uh, a problem and uh, inadvisable uh, or offensive. Now, Italians, classically, uh, you know, we, we sort of have had some rough patches uh, with, with Italy. Yeah, World in the War II was awkward. Yeah, World War II is a great example. Uh, but we didn't really have massive anti-Italian discrimination in the way that we did uh, these other groups. And to the extent that we did have anti-Italian discrimination, uh, you know, it didn't manifest itself in uh, making Italians the whole butt of uh, jokes uh, you know, have, endlessly a, the way it did. Uh, I, we did I have the a Chinese problem group. with your theory, Connor. Um, yes. Uh, Irish were famously, infamously discriminated against in America in terms of immigration. Right. Remember the, you know, the sign everyone has heard referenced too many times, no Irish need apply. Uh, uh, so we, we've discriminated against them. Now, if I said, uh, like, did a promo for too many lawyers and said, oh, I'm Larry the Leprechaun. You've got to listen to too many lawyers. It's the yeah. best show. Now, that would that get me in the same level of trouble uh, I would get into for doing the, the Chinese accent? Because we discriminated against the Irish, just like we excluded the Chinese. You're totally right. But as I alluded to with how we've, you know, say we've had rough patches in the past and, and now things are slightly different. Uh, we currently still all live in a world where there is significant anti-Asian discrimination. People are sometimes periodically, you see uh, uh, every week uh, or two, uh, you hear uh, random hate crime motivated by racial animus uh, where an Asian person is attacked uh, no, in you. America. I mean, it's, These it's, things happen. It's a, it's a, it's a subtle Nobody's issue. attacking Irish people. Uh, uh, you're, you're, you're right. Hey, we got to pause, but when we come back, we're going to find out whether it's legal to honk your horn. Stick with us on Too Many Lawyers. Welcome back. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So, Connor, let's talk a little bit about free speech. Um, it has to do with uh, whether you have a God-given right to honk your horn. Okay. Um, there's a California law that limits honking to safety-related reasons. And a um, San Diego woman uh, got into a little trouble because she likes to uh, lean on her horn every once in a while just to kind of express her feeling. I mean, we've all been annoyed by jerks who lean on their horn too much. Yep. But should it be a prison offense? Um, she, she she got a ticket she, and she took it up in federal court. And she just lost in the United States, excuse me, lost in the Ninth Circuit. And now she wants the Supreme Court to take up her case. She described the car horn as the sound of democracy in action. That's pretty <laughs> clever. It isn't is. That, isn't that clever? Yeah. yeah. Um, she argues that a lot of uh, appellate uh, courts, a lot of state courts have struck down blanket bans on expressive conduct or speech uh, on roads. And the Ninth Circuit, uh, she says, departed from that line of authority uh, when it held that California's law does not violate the First Amendment. I mean, I don't know, Connor. 
The Supreme Court's busy. Abortion, affirmative action, guns, yep. gay wedding cakes, and gay <laughs> wedding websites, and right. handled two of those cases. So you know they're busy with those. You think they have the bandwidth uh, or the interest to take on a honking case? No, I don't think they're going to take this one up. Eh, they got a full calendar, and they very rarely take cases up generally. Uh, but this one especially seems a bit thin. I mean, there's a law on the books for a reason. It says you can only do this kind of speech, uh, that is, uh, blowing a horn uh, in operation connection with the operation of a car uh, for safety reasons. Uh, and that while the Supreme Court is obviously going to be pro-safety, uh, free speech very frequently loses uh, based on time, place, and manner restrictions that are found to be reasonable uh, given the kind of uh, speech that we're trying uh, to limit. So if she wants to say uh, that this this law uh, is you know, that, that has to do with safety uh, is a problem, she's going to have to overcome all of the prior cases where uh, people were barred from doing free speech style stuff by safety concern laws. I mean, every time you crowd a bunch of people crowd for a political protest uh, into a building and the fire marshal uh, enforces the law and says, you can't have more than 150 people in this room, even though you think it'd be a more powerful political statement. I'm sorry you got to spread out. That is a safety concern law uh, that is infringing on these people's free speech. And courts, including the Supreme Court, uh, do a balancing test where they decide what kind of speech it is first and then what lens to view it through as a result of what kind of speech it is. And then what you know, requirements uh, need be met before you, uh, the government uh, is allowed to uh, constrain that speech uh, in the, the, the time that you're allowed to, to make your speech, the place you're allowed to make your speech, and the manner, here being a horn, that you're allowed to make your speech in. And if you're going to intrude on people's physical safety as we all drive around hundred pounds, hundreds and hundreds, well, thousands and thousands of pounds of steel uh, to wrap our, our fragile human bodies in just so we can go 80 miles an hour on the freeway, um, then uh, safety is always going to be a concern uh, and is always going to win. Well, and let's give some of the specifics. So we're talking about California Vehicle Code, Section 27001. And it basically says you can't honk uh, except when it's reasonably necessary to warn another driver or a pedestrian of a safety hazard. And Ms. Porter of San Diego filed a lawsuit after she was cited for honking in support of protesters outside a government official's office. Now, I remember hearing, Connor, in the last few months, uh, there were some controversies about honking in connection with the actors and the writer's strikes. They would be on the picket line outside Paramount Studios there on Melrose in Hollywood. And I don't remember if the controversy was, uh, I, I know in some uh, picketers, I think, interpret a honk as meaning, hey, sure. screw you, pal. Oh, sure. And so they responded by flipping off the drivers. Others, I think, <laughs> say, you know, honk if you support union. Uh, and so, but either way, I mean, you know, it doesn't seem super dangerous to have a couple of honks either in favor or uh, against the union folks. When we come back, we're going to find out whether you think I'm being wrong on this. Stick with us. Welcome back. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. Talking about whether it should be illegal to honk your horn unless it's for a safety reason to warn a pedestrian or a driver about a safety hazard. And I was saying, I don't know, it just seems like uh, 
I suppose it could it could be dangerous. It could be really annoying. But if it's just a couple of pops on the horn to say, "Hey, I like your cause, you protesters on the sidewalk," and your your sign invites, you know, honk if you support uh, the union. Yeah, what's the harm in that? I think the problem is actually that it is, while obtrusive, not that obtrusive. And because it's not that obtrusive, it's something that people can become inured to. And we specifically want to uh, get the societal benefit of having a horn that isn't, you know, bone jarringly painful to hear, uh, but also gets people's attention in an emergency. So if you're going to reserve that sound to get a specific reaction out of people in an emergency without having to resort to some sort of klaxon that causes everyone to panic, uh, whenever they hear it, uh, then you need to uh, restrict its use to only specifically uh, emergency or safety situations. Uh, and everybody is better off as a result. If you allow people to sort of abuse that sound and misuse it, uh, then it's no longer going to have the specialness required to get people's attention. I mean, look at New York City. The haunts are constant when people go to New York and they mm -hmm. complain about it. And I'll bet there are pedestrians that get hit uh, as a result of them being so used to honking that they don't even hear it. So you express some doubt that the U.S. Supreme Court, with all the important things it has uh, on its docket, uh, yeah. would be interested in this. Um, you know, they actually took up that case involving the maniacs of the Westboro Baptist Church really? uh, who uh, hate gays. And uh, you'll recall what the Westboro Baptist Church folks would do is they would go to funerals for fallen uh, American servicemen, and they would uh, make a lot of noise and have a lot of signs saying, uh, you know, God hates gays. And the idea was that they're punishing the federal government for having a gay-friendly policy in the military, even though the, the folks who uh, who died and whose funerals were being held had nothing to do with the issue, and the U.S. Supreme Court said, "Yeah, yeah, they 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 can do that. They they we're not going to restrict them. You know, we're not going to put them two miles away." And I'm thinking to myself, "Are you kidding me? You Supreme Court would not allow me to drive a sound truck through a a, a neighborhood at 3 a.m." with a really loud uh, announcement of why they should vote for me, because it would be idiotic for me to do that. It would be a complete nuisance. It would be a violation of the rights of all the people who like to spend a little time sleeping. A soundtrack cannot blare a message at 3 a.m. in a residential area. So Supreme Court's okay with that kind of restriction on speech, but they're not okay with restricting these maniacs who are interfering with solemn funerals for uh, for dead soldiers, I mean, I, I I see some inconsistency there, and maybe they're just nutty enough that they'll they'll take this case up. Or never know, maybe. You know, in, in April, uh, the Ninth Circuit panel held that the law was narrowly tailored to advance California's substantial interest in traffic safety. So you're on the side of the Ninth Circuit. Yeah, Connor. in this case, that narrowly tailored is the legal standard where they say, uh, is this law? Uh, Tailored basically meaning, does it work? Does it accomplish uh, what you what you are setting out to accomplish? And narrowly tailored meaning, is there no better alternative? Is, there, is it the best way to accomplish the thing you're trying to do that restricts people's free speech uh, the least? So if you said, well, uh, we really want uh, people to be uh, to, to be safe, uh, uh, and and uh, and therefore uh, anything that could possibly sound like a car horn uh, is banned. 
other than for safety reasons. Uh, and that might make people a little bit safer, but it's not narrowly tailored to the goal that you're trying to accomplish. And so that might be too broad uh, a, a, bl- a ban on the use of horns. And this uh, you know, law that the America, uh, that is California, currently has on the books is more narrowly tailored, narrowly tailored enough that the judges said, yeah, we like it, which brings into sharp relief the fact that these judges are making this stuff up, right? It's all <laughs> political. It's all people deciding the way the world should look and implementing that. They're all lawmakers. They're all politicians. So the idea that they're robots in robes is wrong. We got to recognize that they're making political judgments. Uh, and you have to. That's how you decide what your polity uh, is supposed to do on a day-to-day basis, what our country's supposed to look like. So speaking of politicians, let's shift gears and talk about everybody's favorite topic, Hillary Clinton. She may be running for president, Connor. Oh, my God. She was on The View. And Sonny Hostin, one of the co-hosts, uh, asked Secretary Clinton uh, what a second Trump term would look like. And uh, Clinton immediately lost the argument. Godwin's law. Uh Oh, she said that prospect is almost unimaginable. She then went on to contrast Trump with Hitler. The key difference being Hitler didn't telegraph his intentions. She said the wreckage by a second Trump presidency would be almost unimaginable. And you can see it in countries where, well, Hitler was duly elected. So if she's going to go on The View and make comments like that, um, don't you think if Joe Biden can't run for some reason or chooses not to, don't you think, Hillary, you might say, oh, okay, uh, why don't we just run this up the flagpole and see if anybody will salute? I mean, stranger things have happened. Democrats know Joe can't get it done. The Clinton name is still magic, sort of, especially in Democratic quarters. And she's coming out swinging, comparing Trump to Hitler. Would you be shocked if she actually threw her uh, pantsuit in the ring? Yeah, I, I would be shocked. Not because uh, she there's no way she does it, but I would be shocked. Well, I hope be, not, frankly. Right. But I would be shocked uh, if the Referring Democratic the establishment... Uh, I'd be shocked if the Democratic establishment lets her, because she has uh, many of the same type of problems that Joe Biden has. So the question is, <laughs> what exactly would the Democrats uh, gain? They'd be incurring all the downsides of somebody with a ton of baggage. Uh, and you know, in, in Biden's issues, it comes from his long history of being a politician. Uh, with with uh, Hillary, it comes from him, uh, her having you know having lost previously, and all the controversies surrounded, and people hate her, uh, and because of her association with a long history of politics with her husband. Um, and, you know, it's not like there are a bunch of ride or die. Really, there are some, but not enough firm uh, Hillary fans that what if you're an, a, a politics obsessed Hillary fan, what are you not going to vote for Joe Biden? You already got that voter. You're fine. <laughs> you're swapping out Hillary for uh, for Joe doesn't do anything in getting that demo. They're already 100 percent locked in. So. It just doesn't make any political strategic sense. Well, she might want to be president. There's no reason for the Democratic establishment to support her. Well, if they were going to swap off of Joe Biden, which who knows, they might end up convincing Joe that he should swap out. Uh, the way that they would accomplish that and the reason that they would do it uh, is get somebody young and exciting, and fresh, with a bunch of new ideas and not so much baggage. And then hopefully get young people excited to come out to the polls for once in their freaking lives uh, to actually vote for somebody that where they might have been apathetic and stayed home. Uh, instead, you know, we're all looking for the new Obama, right? The, the Democratic establishment has been looking for the new Obama and every wannabe Democratic politician has practi- been practicing to pretend to be the new Obama uh, their entire political lives. So th- they're not about to stop now and bring in, sorry, 
uh, uh, older and baggage carrying Hillary. Mm. Well, that's that's pretty disrespectful. <laughs> former first lady, former so senator from the state of New York. Oh, sorry, so sorry. Uh, former Secretary of State. So, True. Connor, here's what I would pay money to see. Mm -hmm. You heard David Axelrod, who was Obama's political guru, okay. who said in the last week, Biden should not run. I mean, it's a really big deal because you know that Obama gave him the green light to say that. Those guys are joined at the hip. No way does Axelrod do that on his own. So here's the I don't know, but okay, maybe. I, I don't who know. They, who knows? Let, let, let's sure. just assume that for a moment. Okay. Because uh, it fits in with my wacky hypothetical. <laughs> okay. But here's the deal. Biden continues to sink in the polls and mentally and physically. Trump continues to rise based on the indictments, and there's no guilty verdict on the horizon to knock Trump out. So, guess who squares off for the Democrat nomination? I'm ready. Hillary and Michelle Obama. Can you imagine <laughs> the clash, the TV debates, the the mud wrestling match, pay per view between Michelle, these two woke titans? I would I would pay a hundred dollars to see that mud wrestling match. I, I think Michelle Obama is a is a very real uh, possible contender. I, I don't think she has any interest in trying to do it, but she, she totally could put her hat in the ring and be a potential contender, just like Gavin Newsom and the rest. It, again, again, I don't see any benefit to it for uh, for people um, because I don't really think she's that. She, I mean, she's too much of a uh, uh, of a wild card in people's estimation. It will be too strange for her. Um, I think, given that she's not been a senator yet, like Hillary was, yeah, she was a politician's wife, but then she was a senator in her own right. And then she was secretary of state and then she was a presidential candidate and then she still lost. So uh, Michelle has never been the mayor of anywhere. So I don't, I don't know. So when, you say, Connor, when you say Hillary Clinton was a senator in her own right, um, I'm curious, do you think that if she weren't uh, Mrs. Bill Clinton, she would have become the senator from the state of New York? Yeah, well, if George W. hadn't been the son of George Sr., would he be president? I'll yeah, I don't think you, it really I'll, matters. I'll grant you that. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's and, the world we live in. And Mrs. Woodrow Wilson wouldn't have run the country for two years if she hadn't been Mrs. Woodrow Wilson, and poor sure. Woodrow got a stroke, had a stroke. Sure. So, um, I, I have a, I have a, a reason why you shouldn't worry about Michelle uh, jumping in. I know that would give you great angst. And, oh, absolutely. And, it, and it comes from John Phillips. Oh. Uh, the uh, host of KBC's uh, talk show, The John Phillips Show, uh, Monday through Friday, noon to three. Mm -hmm. John lives out in Palm Springs, and he said on the air the other day that he has a friend who works at a restaurant where Michelle loves to go. And she's there a fair amount with her friends. Uh, interestingly, they observed that um, Michelle's never there with Barack. Uh, she's there only with her girlfriends. And whenever Barack Obama goes to the Palm Springs area, he never goes with Michelle. I guess, you know, they like to have fun separately. Anyway, uh, Michelle's there, you know, shooting the breeze with <laughs> with her friends in the restaurant. And guess what they never, ever talk about? And this employee of the restaurant knows what they're talking about because, you know, in and out uh, serving and so on. Never talk about politics. And so John's inference, and this makes some sense. If Michelle wanted to run for president, now maybe she wouldn't blab loudly stuff that she wouldn't want people to hear but she'd talk about it okay if she was into it and if she's not into it she's not going to run for president so would you agree with me that we're fairly safe that uh, michelle probably won't throw her hat into the ring yeah i mean assuming uh john's source is accurate um 
I don't think it's particularly uh, uh, indicative. I think the politicians mostly get into it with because of their narcissistic obsession with power. I, I don't think they actually care. Yeah, about but, what, but John's point was that people who are involved in politics, they eat it, breathe it, sleep it, live it. It, it is totally all consuming. And for her, I, to me, it's kind of surprising that th for somebody who's been so exposed to politics, I mean, her husband was, you know, in the state Senate in Illinois, then he was in the US Senate from Illinois, then he was the president for eight years. And now he's, I, I mean, let me ask you this, Connor, would you be surprised if Obama and Clinton, Bill Clinton, went to the big money boys in the Democrat Party and said, Hey, uh, guys, we have a plan. What if we were to go to President Biden and tell him that it's kind of bad news? We've talked to the big money boys and they're just they're just not on board. They're not going to be funny. You need one hundred and fifty, two hundred million dollars to run this race. And it's going to be a tiny fraction of that. So now I know you've got some arthritic issues going on. It looks like maybe it's flaring up. What if we went that way? You have to bow out for the medical reason. And Joe realizes, in spite of Jill jumping up and down, because she not only loves the doctor title, she loves the FLOTUS title, sure. First Lady of the United States. If you can overcome Jill's objections, don't you think that would be a smooth and easy way to get Gretchen Whitmer in there as a, as a real winner? It's a possibility. Gretchen Whitmer, I don't know if she's really the top contender, but sure. Well, maybe. she's a yeah. woman. She's uh, from Michigan, which is a, a huge state and a huge swing state. I think she gets a lot of good marks. I, I mean, as hard as Gavin Newsom has tried to put himself out there as the alternative to Biden, I think most Democrats would probably say, wow, you know, we got California in the back. We don't need Gavin for California. True. And he's a white guy. And we're kind of, you know, we're, we're past that in the Democrat Party. Don't you think she might be a, a real like Amy Klobuchar would be attractive too? But I think Whitmer's got more gravitas. Yeah, she might, and certainly you know she's gotten a lot of you know, uh, national level press recently because of the uh, of assassination attempt uh, story uh, that, that. Oh yeah, the kidnapping. Up. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, 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 the exactly. Kidnapping right. into probably would have been an assassination, and these as these things go, and yeah, she certainly has uh, a lot of a lot of press. You know, talking about her for sure. Um, I don't know. She's a possibility. I, I, I don't think. Obviously, policies matter. If you ask an American, a thousand Americans, name one, you know, Whitmer policy. Uh, I think you get a zero percenter uh, across the board. Not a single person could name a single thing that she's ever done or said. Uh, but that doesn't actually matter. So yeah, maybe maybe <laughs> maybe she's the answer. She's the the one the Democrats have been looking for. So we've, uh, we've only got a half a minute before we pause and then uh, return with uh, our feature guest, The Verdict. But a quick question. Donald Trump wants his uh, January 6th election interference trial in Washington, D.C. televised, even though federal courts don't go for that. Uh, you think there's any chance federal court will say, yeah, this is a pretty big deal. So we're going to break our rules. And yes, Donald will be on TV. No, I think there's no chance that it happens. Uh, I think they should. Um, I've, I've changed my mind on it. I thought it, for a while it would be a huge circus. Uh, and of course, it obviously will. But I think uh, it's very important to see uh, Donald Trump face the music and face you know, consequences. Uh, and that's that's something, you know, well, that's, it's definitely in a matter something. of moments, Connor, you're going to face the music. You're going to be oh. challenged with one or two guess the verdict cases. Stick with us on Too Many Lawyers. Welcome back. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. 
Bet on Connor Oaks. And Connor, you're the star of the show here because this is the <laughs> of, final of segment course. of the show. It's called Guess the Verdict. It's America's favorite game show, or at least I say that. So I'm going to give you the facts of a case, Connor. And as usual, you get to um, guess the outcome of the case. And if, if you guess it right, you get the, the incredible reward of a, a really loud, annoying clang of a bell. Nice. So uh, are you ready to go to Fowler, Illinois? Yes. I don't know where Fowler, Illinois is. It's no one does. Probably somewhere close to Peoria, because Peoria is pretty much in the middle. Um, James Scott of Fowler, Illinois, loved to party with the guys. His wife, she wasn't such a big fan of the guys and the partying and so on. So she usually objected to the parties, but uh, James Scott really wanted to have a, um, a party in this particular case. So he decided to remove the sandbags from a Mississippi River levee oh. during a severe flood. Oh! As a result, the only bridge for 100 miles that connected Illinois and Missouri was closed. What oh. was his motivation? To strand his wife. So she would not be in a position to object to the party. Oh, my God. <laughs> so he's charged with malicious mischief. And um, your enormously difficult task, Connor, yeah. is to guess the outcome of his criminal case. Because, you know, I mean, you've heard of jury nullification, right? Right. So that may be his that's only hope a, in that's this context. A possibility. So yeah, yeah. What, what's your analysis of this most peculiar uh, criminal case? Yeah, this is pretty straightforward. Uh, he goes down brutally, but uh, the real question is whether this gets charged as some sort of uh, you know mischief, as you described it, uh, case, or whether it gets charged as literal terrorism. Right? I mean, Ooh. this guy sabotaged a, a major piece of government and public infrastructure that allows people and stuff to. Well, let me to ask flow. you this. Did they call Jack Bauer in? Yeah, exactly. If, if not, ja I don't think it was terrorism. If Jack and Kelly, was her name Kelly? The, Chloe. Chloe, Chloe, of course, the, the voice on the phone, the woman in the back at, the, at home base. Uh, if, if Jack and Chloe aren't called in, then it's not terrorism. But the. the uh, Find a difference between somebody who blows up a, a bridge uh, because they, you know, want to enact a, a kidnapping scheme to get Gretchen Whitmer in a van uh, because they're a, a political uh, terrorist uh, versus somebody who takes out a bunch of sandbags and thus causes uh, a bridge to be washed out or, or, or blown out or whatever. Um, in order to accomplish some stupid, pointless goal like the one this guy had motivation. Well, but it doesn't, the, it doesn't the matter. criminal's intent matters. I mean, if if James Scott didn't want, did not want anybody to get hurt, and maybe somebody was hurt, or maybe somebody wasn't, but he definitely didn't want to to have that happen. As opposed to a terrorist who wants everybody to die. I mean, yeah, I think that's a more serious matter, don't you? Yeah, I, criminal intent does matter in that the intent of the criminal to to choose to uh, to to commit the act matters. They, they can't be you know too drunk to understand their actions. Uh, they can't be uh, you know uh, sleepwalking when they do something. Uh, those are the specific intent uh, yeah, aspects of, of of specific intent crimes. But then you're right. There is another whole other layer that goes on top where we try to punish crimes and acts in a certain specific way uh, because of uh, the, the animus, the, the, the reason behind them. Uh, and you might have a racial discrimination law uh, uh, or hate crime uh, uh, sort of uh, what, what would you call it? An enhancement of, on yeah, a sentence. Yeah, so there can be all sorts of alternatives. So bottom line is you're, you're, you're guessing that this guy was convicted. Is that right? Yeah, for right. sure. You're absolutely right. You got it right, Connor. He was convicted and he got one year in jail for malicious mischief.
pretty so good. So we got we got uh, a minute and a half to go, Connor. Let me lay another case on you, see okay. if you can be two for two. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's a Montreal, Canada woman. She's suing a funeral. Guilty. Home. No, sorry. Go. She she's suing. This is just a civil case. She claims within four hours after she was told by a doctor she had skin cancer, oh. she got a phone call from the Alfred Delaire Funeral Home. She claims the funeral home somehow got access to her medical records and decided to get a jump on the competition. A funeral home, Connor. Whoa. He sued the hospital for leaking the bad news to the funeral home. Wow. So who do you think won in this civil case? It's like Donald Trump. There's criminal cases. There's a civil case. Yeah. So these sorts of cases, right off the bat, they used to, back in jolly old England, get dismissed because this person didn't have proof. But nowadays, in modern law, there's this whole phase called discovery, where people get to find out how this was leaked, whether there is a smoking gun email or text message uh, or whatever else uh, that proves it. And if she has some sort of proof that this important information, personal diagnostic information, was leaked, then now she wins. She's going to win and... She'll be successful with kind of any shred of proof that somebody at the hospital betrayed their duty, uh, maybe under HIPAA or some other disclosure uh, regulation or law. Yeah, up um, in Canada, Connor, they have frozen HIPAA. Yeah, that's a good point. Connor, so you're guessing she wins? Yes. You're absolutely right. She yes. won, and she won $5,000. Fantastic, oh. Connor. You were two for two. You batted a thousand today. That's pretty good. Next week, we hope to be rejoined by Grumpy Cat. We hope you have a non-grumpy week. See you next time on Too Many Lawyers. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories. Stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.